Well, it's good to be with you today. My name is Max Zimmerman. I regularly teach in A46, that department. Our director is Matt Porter, and we would love to have you visit someday. Um, we are continuing our study of Romans, and we're going to be in chapter 11 today. Um, as we've said in our class many times, Romans is an amazing book, an amazing epistle um, from the Apostle Paul, and there is so much packed in um, that it's hard to go through at the quick pace that we're going to go through it. Um, and chapter 11 is no, no exception to that. So we're going to jump straight into it. As we've gone through Romans from the beginning to where we are now, uh, there's a bit of a turning point in the middle of the book with Paul, roughly around chapter 6, where prior to that, Paul is uh, showing us and, and giving us a picture of who we were prior to Christ. You know, we know that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and so after that turning point, now Paul's focused more on explaining to us and and illustrating to us who we are now that we're in Christ. Um, and so chapter 11 is no different. He's going to uh, be fleshing out and putting in place a picture of his plan of salvation, his plan of redemption, particularly as it relates to the relationship within his plan between the Jews and the Gentiles. So that's what we'll see in chapter 11 today. Our focus today is going to be on verses 17 through 32. However, I'd like to start at the beginning of the chapter and kind of go through the first half of the chapter uh, just to give us some lead-in to our section, our, our study today, as well as context for it. So in verse 1 of chapter 11, we see that, that Paul is addressing the answer to a question he lays out in verse 1. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? And by his people, he's talking about the nation of Israel. So he's saying, has God rejected them? And you see, as we keep reading, he says, by no means. It's an emphatic no on Paul's behalf. God has not rejected the Israelites. Uh, they're the people that he foreknew. Um, and, and Paul even gives his credentials and his his background as proof of that he says i ask then has god rejected his people and he says by no means for i myself am an israelite a descendant of abraham a member of the tribe of benjamin so he's laying out this picture that god has not rejected the jewish people despite their rejection of him um, these are the people that he foreknew these are his chosen people the nation that he chose um, to bring Christ to the world and to bring the patriarchs and the covenants and the promises that he had laid out in store for us. Um, so, Paul goes on he uh, here in the first part of chapter 11 to give an example uh, through the story of Elijah as well. He points us back to Elijah and he says, you know, uh, Elijah had his interaction with the prophets of Baal, and through that, he felt very alone. He felt like he was the only one left uh, on the side of God, fighting on the side of God. And God reminded him that, or not reminded him, but made evident to him that there were 7,000 believers that had not 
bowed the knee to Baal at that time, that God had preserved a remnant. Even though Elijah couldn't see it, he was not aware of it, God made him aware of it. So God has clearly not rejected the Jewish people. And that'll be important as we go through the rest of this chapter. As you keep going down and you see in verse 11 of the chapter, uh, as we slowly come to our uh, verses of focus today, Paul asks another question. He said, did they stumble in order that they may fall? And so again, he's still talking about the Jewish people. And his answer is the same, by no means. Again, an emphatic no. And if we keep reading in verse 11 there, he says, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So we'll see that verse 11 there is kind of the key to our study today. Um, God intended the salvation that was offered to the Gentiles, which was resulting from Israel's rejection of Christ, to make Israel jealous. So God has a grand plan of redemption and of salvation for the world. And he's slowly revealing this to the world through, the, through Paul here. And so he's telling us that salvation of the Gentiles is designed to make the Jews jealous. So, on one hand, Israel's rebellion and its rejection of Christ brought about the reconciliation of the Gentiles. And this is part of God's plan. This is part of him revealing a bit of the workings and how things are playing out here on earth. And in the last half of the chapter, which we're coming to right now, Paul is specifically speaking to the Gentiles. So he has a message for the Gentiles that have now been brought into the kingdom of God and are made his children as a result of the Jews' rebellion. And so let's look at verses 13 through 16, which are kind of leading into our, our study passage today. So follow along with me as we read 13 through 16. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So Paul is setting up this section, this last half of, of chapter 11, to paint the picture of the relationship and his plan between the salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles and how they play together. Now, it's a bit of a long passage, but I'd like for you to read with me 17 through 32. That's going to be our focus today. And so let's read the whole uh, bit of scripture there, and then we'll come back and walk through it together. So beginning in verse 17, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. 
For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel... They are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned to all disobedience that they may have mercy on all. So that's verses 17 through 32, and that's going to be our focus today. So we're going to walk through those verses together. Before verse 17, we read verse 16, which says, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And so this illustration of the tree, the olive tree, and the branches is what Paul focuses on in verses 17 through 32. And so um, he uses the analogy of grafting branches in um, in order to teach the Gentiles about Israel's role in God's plan of salvation. As we saw um, in verse 13, he says specifically, now I am speaking to the Gentiles. So he's doing two things. He's teaching them the role of Israel in his plan. And he's also warning the Gentiles against arrogance with respect to the Jews. So you'll see that as the underlying purpose of Paul's uh, writing here in the last half of 11. And so he's cultivating excuse me, he's contrasting the cultivated olive tree and the wild olive tree found out in the wilderness. Um, obviously, the, the olive tree was a, was a familiar symbol, both to Israelites and people in the area. It was found on coins and in artwork and the like. And um, it was part of their culture, a huge part. So it made for a perfect analogy for Paul to make his point with regard to Jews and Gentiles in God's family. So the branches that had been broken off represented the unbelieving Jews. We see that from the way Paul wrote this section of Scripture. Um, keep in mind Paul's point. He's, he's warning the Gentiles and discouraging them from, from their arrogance and from boasting in some way that they're superior to the Jews. 
So he's pointing out to the Gentiles that that they, as branches that have been grafted in to the cultivated olive tree, the Gentiles being the, from the wild olive tree outside coming in, that they are sustained by the root and the root does not sustain them. Again, he's taking away their pride, their arrogance, um, and their um, self-righteousness. And so the root of the olive tree, according to Paul's illustration here, is not the Jewish people themselves, but in fact, the root are the patriarchs of Israel, particularly Abraham. The patriarchs and Abraham were the ones that God brought um, Christ to the world. He's the, they're the ones that uh, were uh, the covenants and the promises of God came to the world. And so it's those patriarchs that are the root, that are the bedrock, that both Jews and Gentiles share in now that Christ has come and God's salvation has been made to both. So both believing Jews and believing Gentiles shared in that nourishment that came from the root, which was the patriarchs. So in verse 19, if you go back there, we'll see that Paul anticipates what the Gentiles may, may respond with regard to this analogy. And he says, Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And so, continuing in verse 20, he says, That is true. So he grants them the truth in that statement, but he warns them against drawing an inference that it gives them superiority over the Jews. He wants to dissuade them from that thinking. Um, Paul points out, he's, he's pointing the Gentiles toward what they should be focusing on, which is faith. So if we continue there in verses 20 and 21, he says, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So again, he's putting all this in context for the Gentiles who he's speaking specifically to. So he's saying, don't make grafting in the fact that you've been brought into the family a point of pride. But instead, beware, be fearful. If God doesn't spare the natural branch, then he won't spare the grafted in branch. So he's just trying to hammer home to the Gentiles um, not to be arrogant in their position as it relates to the non-believing Jews. So what Paul's saying to the Gentiles is think about what position the Jews and what situation the most Jews were in. They were trusting in their own righteousness through keeping the law rather than faith in Christ. And so therefore their branches were broken off of the olive tree. So the Gentiles could expect no less. Obviously, if they boast in their own accomplishments and righteousness rather than the gracious gift of faith received from God, then they'll be no more protected than the unbelieving Jew. They will be broken off as well. So because of faith and grace and salvation, because those come solely from God, for us to have any arrogance or false pride in that is completely unwarranted, particularly to, toward those who have not believed. 
And so that's the message that God's getting, getting across to the Gentiles here, is don't be proud of your position. So continue with verse 22 with me. He says, Paul says, Note, then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God, God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you, will, you too will be cut off. And so God keeps that balance between his severity and his kindness perfectly. That's his nature. And so his kindness is evident in his inclusion of the Gentiles in his plan of salvation for the world. And his severity is also clear in his judgment of those Jews who refuse to believe. And God keeps that balance perfectly. And so as he continues in verse 23, he says, And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into the olive tree? And so Paul's shining a light on God's equal treatment on Jews and Gentiles and all mankind. Um, for those Jews who do not remain in unbelief, but come to belief in God and in Christ, they'll be grafted back in easily, just as the Gentiles were grafted into the tree. So if we think about it, in the natural world, if a branch is cut off from a tree, it quickly dies, right? And as we know, we are dead in our trespasses and sins prior to Christ coming into our life. And so we don't see scripture telling us we're sick in our sins or we're very ill in our sins. We're dead in our sins. And so what is impossible for God? Is it, uh, is it within his power to graft in a dead branch and to breathe life back into that dead branch? Absolutely, yes. That's the message that, that, um, that Paul is giving us here. Um, that's why salvation is all of God and none of us. Nothing from us uh, for us to boast in. And so for those unbelieving Jews that come to Christ and come to faith, faith, they will be grafted back into the family of God as children of God, just as the Gentiles have been. You know, when God first regenerates a lost person's heart and gives them the gift of faith, they're brought back in, regardless of their prior rejection and rebellion. And so that's what he's pointing out to the Gentiles here, that those unbelieving Jews, or many of them, may ultimately be their brothers and sisters in Christ. So verse 25 says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So Bible scholars interpret this verse and the next one, which we're coming to, in different ways. So for today, we want to just take a quick look at verse 25 and try to understand what Paul's getting at here. So when Paul mentions in Scripture a mystery, he's talking about a divine, a divine secret or truth that has not in the past been revealed to the world. And so Paul is revealing here to the Gentiles for whom he's speaking um, 
what the role of Israel is in his grand plan of, of uh, redemption and of salvation. And so um, while he's continuing to discourage them from their pride and boasting, he's also wanting them to understand the context and the role of the Jewish people in his plan of salvation. Um, so uh, in Ephesians, when we studied it in past semesters, we saw that Paul referred to the mystery of the Gentiles being brought into the family when he's writing to the Jews. And so now we're coming full circle and we're seeing that these mysteries of how the Jews and the Gentiles as part of the family and the church of God come together in his plan. Paul mentions here a partial hardening of Israel. So if we go back to verse 17, it says, but if some of the branches were broken off. So by those indications, we know that not all Jews are unbelieving. Not all the branches are broken off. And there's only a partial hardening of the Jewish people in the nation of Israel. And so there's a limit in the scope of that hardening. There's also a limitation in the time. He says, until... The, uh, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so that phrase gives us an indication in the word fullness that there's a, there's a number. There is a plan made by God before the foundation of the earth that only he knows and he's sovereign over that there'll be a point when all of the Gentiles that are God's elect have come into the kingdom of God. And at that point, he goes on to verse 26, and he says, in this way, all Israel will be saved. And so um, Paul knew that God had not rejected his people, the Israelites. He said that in the first of the chapter, as we saw when we began the lesson today. Um, and so he has a plan for them. And there's a plan that's unfolding, particularly after the completion of the salvation of the Gentiles. So as we look at verse 26 here in 27, it says, And in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so this passage, particularly with the phrase that says all Israel will be saved, has generally been interpreted three ways. And there's disagreement about which is correct. But we'll walk through very quickly as we come closer to the end of our study um, the three interpretations of that phrase, all Israel will be saved. So the first is there are those that read that very literally. And they would say that all ethnic Israelites will ultimately be saved. Now this is the minority viewpoint, I believe, in that we see throughout Scripture where God has re revealed to us that this is likely not the case. There are examples of this just not being true as a matter of fact. I mean, particularly if we look back to chapter 2 of Romans here, if we go back a few pages, Romans 2, 28 and 29, we'll see Paul says there, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. So he gives us an indication there that salvation is about 
the heart, circumcision of the heart, about the spirit indwelling us, not about the physical attributes of Jewish nationality and heritage um, and circumcision. Uh, particularly if we continue forward just a little bit to chapter 9 of Romans, uh, verse 27, Paul says, and he's referring to Isaiah, he said, And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. So there's just indications throughout Scripture, particularly here with Paul in, in Romans, that show us that not all not all ethnic Jews are going to, will ultimately be saved. So this interpretation is likely not the accurate one. So the second interpretation about all Israel is that it's referring to the church as a whole, the invisible church, all believers, Jew and Gentile. Um, some brief support for that interpretation comes particularly from Galatians, where Paul refers to the Israel of God. And this review, uh, in um, which is interpreted to mean Israel means more than just the Israelite people now in the New Testament, that it includes Gentiles and all believers. Um, this view is kind of in keeping with the illustration of the olive tree, in that Jews and Gentiles, according to this illustration by Paul, both are made up, um, that both are part of the tree now. They've been grafted in with the root being the, the patriarchs, the Jewish patriarchs, and now Jews and Gentiles are all part of the same tree um, that are traced back to the patriarchs. And so um, Paul sets out that theme of being Abraham's seed, or all believers being Abraham's seed further in Galatians, if you read that book. Um, the Israel of God being the newly reconstituted people of God, comprised of all of God's elect, Jew and Gentile. So that's the second interpretation, that all Israel now in this context means the entire church, all believers. The third interpretation is that all Israel is referring to only those Jews that are saved. So not all ethnic Jews, but not including Gentiles. So those Jews that were elect, that were chosen, and that were saved by God. Um, this view and the prior view, being the entire church, are the primary competing views. And this is a complex theological issue, and so I would encourage you um, to study this on your own and, and draw your conclusions. Um, it's one that you can spend a lot of time in. It could be a little complex and a little murky, but, um, but studying Scripture is the way to resolve it in your mind. Um, so those are the competing views, the last two, one being kind of the covenant theology view and the other being kind of the dispensational view. So let's continue with our study. Let's move on to verses 28 and 29. Um, so read with me 28 and 29 real quick. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. <clears throat> so Paul's giving them a picture again he's painting this grand picture for the gentiles about the jews and their role in salvation and so paul points them toward the fact that while 
the nation of Israel and the Jews are enemies of God because of their rejection. They're also the friends of God because of their chosen status and their election and his grand plan. Um, again, they've clearly rejected him. They're clearly at enmity with him and, and, and opposed to him while they're in their sins. But they also are God's chosen people. Um, they're the ones through whom Christ came to the world. Again, they're the ones that brought us the patriarchs, that God brought the patriarchs to us. Um, along with his covenants and his promises, um, which are the nourishing root of the olive tree in his illustration. Um, and I think God's love for the Israelite people is based in the patriarchs, which we saw in verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts are God's gracious gift of justification and salvation. It's also the gracious gift of the patriarchs and the promises that he made to all believers. Um, his calling is that effectual calling um, to God's elect. And so he says those things of God are irrevocable, that God's salvation is reliable. We can rely on those promises because when we have faith, that's what we have faith in, right? We have faith in God keeping the promises that he's made to his people um, and his ability to keep those promises. So we're continuing real quick with our last two verses in this study. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too now have been, disobe now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned to all disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So originally the Gentiles were the disobedient group. They were outside the covenant people of Israel and they were separated from God. And, uh, and through the Jews and through their disobedience and their rejection of God, the gospel was brought to the Gentiles and mercy was brought to the Gentiles as part of God's plan, working its way out throughout history. And so the Jews will receive mercy, ultimately, those that believe, because of the mercy shown to the Gentiles. And this is what Paul's showing us here in these last few verses that we're studying today. So God used the disobedience of both Jews and Gentiles to bring mercy to each of those groups. And you can see his plan working itself out here as Paul explains it. Now I will point out as a side note as we close today that verse 32 is often taken out of context. It says, For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. We don't want to read into that verse any element of universalism that God will show mercy to every human being regardless of their belief system, regardless of whether they put faith in Christ. We know that that is the prerequisite for salvation. So all of Scripture tells us that. Um, tells us that that's, that theory of all, all receiving mercy regardless of Christ is false. And so... Um, while God brought mercy to the believing Jews, those branches that weren't broken off, he brought mercy to the Gentiles, and he will continue to bring mercy to the Jews as his plan plays out. Um, but in this context of verse 32, 
Um, he will have mercy on all. All is, are those that believe in Christ um, and accept Christ as their Savior. So that is our lesson today. I appreciate you allowing me to teach, and I look forward to seeing you again on Sunday morning soon. Thank you.